Happy Easter, everyone. It can be better than that. Happy Easter. Jesus is alive. He's ruling. He's reigning. He is not dead. There's no other human in the history of earth or that has defeated sin and death but the God-man Jesus. And we're here to celebrate that. If, uh, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, the New Testament author, the Apostle Paul, says that you are still in your sin. And, what, and your faith is futile. It's pointless that you're gathering today. It's pointless that you worship Jesus. It's pointless that you live any life that, that's focused on the worship of God if Jesus is not alive. So either you believe he's alive and your faith is not in vain, or you just need to be woken up this, this evening. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you slept in. And so we're here today. We're going to look at a sermon that the apostle Peter preached. I'm stealing a sermon from Peter. It's the only time that you're allowed to take sermons from someone else is when they're in the Bible. So we're going to do that today. If you didn't understand, if that's a joke, that's a joke. You don't steal sermons. Uh, You really don't. uh, You really don't steal sermons. Uh, But you do uh, read. We do love the Bible and we do preach from it. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We love it. The whole Bible is about Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, we're going to talk a lot about him today. We welcome anyone and everyone who, who comes today, whether you uh, have been a Christian for uh, a long period of time, whether you're, 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 someone just invited you and you're like, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, we, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. And so I want you to all feel like family today. I just want you to feel that way. You, even if you, you belong here, even if you don't believe or agree with us. We're going to be unashamed about who Jesus is, but even if you disagree, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And we're throwing a big party. So just like a graduation party, you attend someone uh, that you don't really know, but it's a party. You're like, ah, there's a party I'm I'm attending. Some of you, maybe you're here and you just came for the party. We are going to party, rain or shine. And so hear these words. That's where we're going to start. Hear these words. I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to hear what the word of God has to say today. I want us to, to focus in for, a, for, a, for some time and, and hear the words of the Scripture. If you're a Christian and, you, and you've been following Jesus, what we, you will hear today may sound like something you've heard before. But I need you to understand this, that this good news, this gospel, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, this is the same news that saved you, but it's also the only news that will sustain you. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So maybe some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for some time. And maybe you've, you've hit a rough patch in your life and you feel that, that God is distant from you. Or you feel that, that the, the gospel is just uh, out of reach. Or you just feel ashamed. Or you feel guilty. You feel that you don't really know why you, you came here today. I want you to know that this, this news that we proclaim today is, the, is not just for, for those who are yet to believe. It's for the Christian too. The good news of Jesus is the, is the news for, for every person, at every season, at every point in human history. So hear these words. The Apostle Peter, he's preaching a sermon. This sermon ends with 3,000 people putting their faith in Jesus. 3,000. Just from hearing the word of God. We're, we're told that the gospel is what has the power to save. It's not fancy words, it's not eloquent speech, it's the resurrection, the news of the resurrection of Jesus that changes hearts of men and women. So that's what we're going to proclaim today. And he says this, men of Israel, hear these words, hear these words, church, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by you, uh, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you know yourself. He's talking to real people who saw the real Jesus do real miracles. They have seen Jesus do miracles and they've seen him perform signs. They've seen him uh, heal people. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him do great and mighty works and yet they have not believed. Some of you have, have prayed, you've seen answered prayers, you've been, a, been, you've been among church, you've been among Christians, you've seen the power of God on display, yet your heart wonders if it's true. This is a group of people who may have, have been similar to you. They, they saw Jesus. They saw his life. They saw his ministry. They heard his words. They saw him put up on a cross. They saw him hung, dead, buried. He says, you've seen them. You've seen him. You knew him. He was in your midst. He says this, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Hear these words, he says, God had a plan. 
Some of you, that's really good news because you are really bad at making plans. Like, you're like, man, if I had made a plan to save humanity from their sin, I might have missed a detail. Like, right? If you're if we're honest, like, no one's, like, the perfect planner. Like, even you planners in here, you're like, I'm a really good planner. Like, I think I plan well oftentimes, but then, you know, we plan a party outside and apparently it's supposed to rain. It might not. We'll find out at the end of the sermon if it rained or not. But here's the deal. I like plans. I like to keep my plans, but oftentimes I forget some details. Praise be to God, he had a definite plan, and he didn't forget any details. He says this, that it was according to God's definite plan and his foreknowledge. He planned it out ahead of time. He says, you crucified and killed. He's talking, I mean, imagine talking to someone like, hey, you killed Jesus. In our day and age, when you, you say something like that, many people get offended. Peter wasn't, didn't care about offending them. He wanted to get, hear, hear them, make, help them hear the news. He said, you crucified and killed Jesus. We need to understand, we are all guilty of sin. We killed Jesus, not just them, we did. Our sin, as the song says, it was our sin that held him on the cross. You killed Jesus, he says, by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, this is the news. This is what we celebrate. God raised him up. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And in doing so, he loosening, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hear these words, church. God had a plan. God had a rescue mission to save mankind from their sin. Though you, though I, though the entire uh, humanity rebelled against God. God saw to it to seek after them, to save them. The coming of Jesus Christ is a rescue mission. It's saying, hey, I want you to be in my family. And I'm going to pay for, for all that you've done with my life. That's good news, folks. That's the best news. That's the greatest news in all of human history. That imagine in a world we've lived in for the past few years, we've heard a lot of bad news. A lot of bad news about, about death, about war about a lot of things we've heard about. There's not a lot of good news. This is the greatest news in all of human history. That what if there, there could be a man who could, could atone for the sins of the world that could save men and women from the, the punishment of their sin and not just save them from their sin but save them from death. Faith in Jesus means that after you die you don't die. Resurrection is not you come back to life and you die again. Resurrection is you live forever. Jesus was killed, buried, and God raised him up according to his definite plan, according to his foreknowledge, though we crucified and killed the Savior because of our sin. The grave could not hold him down because he was sinless. See, if you and I died... For our sin, it would be, we would stay dead. Because we, we are, we, the wages of sin, the New Testament tells us, is death. We deserve death. Jesus was sinless, did not deserve death, death, deserved life. He took on our death, took upon our debt, and paid our penalty for our sin so that we could have his life. His life. Some of you see yourselves as just of what the sins of your past or maybe sins done against you. You see yourself in light of, 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 of sin or, or what you've done or what you've accomplished. But God, in his great mercy, decided to not hold us accountable to what uh, we have done, but rather hold his son accountable for what we have done. And if we believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ according to God's definite plan, we have life. It's a definite plan, a definite rescue mission. See, at the cross of Jesus Christ, the love of God and the justice of God collide. See, it is possible for someone to simply forgive sin. But if you forgive sin and not pay or punish the wrong that was done, that's the injustice. There can be forgiveness but there cannot be forgiveness without justice unless someone pays the penalty. Do we understand this? I'll give you an example. My son, there was a point in time when he was young. He's still young, but he took a rock and, uh, or a toy or something. We don't really know exactly what it was. He threw it at the TV. Fun fact, if you throw a rock at a TV, it breaks. 
Not the rock, the TV. The TV breaks. It, it, it shattered. And we come into the room and we see it. And we ask, uh, who did this? Well, he convinced uh, us that his sister, who was uh, a mere infant, uh, did it. And we believed him somehow. Uh, some of you think that you can convince others <laughs> the wrongs you've done. And maybe you've done a good job of it, like my son. Uh, but he was guilty. Uh, later we find out he, he did indeed throw the rock or the toy at the TV. And the TV did break because of his, his actions. Now, here's the reality. We, we can forgive him. I can forgive him, and I did. We, we forgave him for his actions. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter. He, he at the time, maybe four or five years old, he could not have paid the debt he, 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 he had for that TV. Could not. It doesn't matter how many lawns he uh, thinks he could mow at that age with a fake lawnmower. Couldn't. doesn't matter how much his uh, aunt's Give him money uh, for, for pulling weeds? It doesn't matter. No, he could not have, he could not have in his own uh, worked enough at that age to pay the debt for breaking his TV, this TV. So as a father, I had two options. One, I could uh, hold that debt over him for the rest of his life until he's old enough to pay that debt, which would, would be some time. Or I could forgive him and, and absorb the cost myself. Or I could just sit there with a broken TV for the rest of my life and go, you know what? My son broke. He can't do anything about it. So here's the reality. So we forgave him, but we absorbed the debt. I absorbed, I had to literally go buy another TV to pay my money, not his money, for his wrongdoing. To cover his mistake. To recover his rock throwing at TV game he was playing. And so my son, his response was to lie when he was caught. He was to hide. He was ashamed. He blamed his infant sister. You see it even in children. When we do something wrong, when we sin, is what the Bible uses. That's what that is. Sin is when we, when we violate God's law. We do so willfully. We do so through sins of commission, meaning we, we do something. We also do it through sins of omission, meaning like we should have done something, and we, let, we leave it undone. We're guilty. And I need you to understand, uh, sinning against a righteous, holy God is, is uh, eternal treason. It's not simply breaking a TV. It's eternal treason against a holy and righteous God. It's a debt that you could never pay. My son, perhaps, when he got old enough, could pay for that TV. But we could never pay for the sin and debt that we've, we've uh, occurred uh, through our sin and our rebellion against God. The, the Bible teaches us that we are sinners by nature and by choice, meaning we, it, we are sinners, beget sinners, beget sinners, and then we continue to willfully persist in that manner. But God had a definite plan to do something about the debt that we could not pay. America as a nation should understand this. We have a debt we cannot pay. Like, you, we, as a nation, we, we, we can't do this. You as a sinner, you cannot pay the debt. But Jesus, he decides, according to his foreknowledge, that he was going to pay the debt for you. Just like my wife and I buy a new TV and replace the one that was broken Jesus exchanged his life for your life. Instead of the broken, sin-tattered life that you and I have lived, instead of getting credit for that, getting punished for that, Jesus said, I'll take that on myself. I will pay the damages, the cost of your rebellion with my life. Like what, what kind of sins? Every sin. Your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. The ones you think are really big, the ones you think are really small. The ones, think about the, the, the greatest length that one would have to go to overcome the greatest rebellion. That's what Jesus did according to the definite plan of God. So God's love is on display in that he wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to redeem you. And his justice, they collide where Jesus takes the just penalty due your name in your place for your sins paid in full. According to the definite plan of God. It's great news. But he didn't just stay dead. It says that he was, God raised him up. 
God the Father raised up Christ the Son. This is what Easter is. This is the celebration, the resurrection. Because Jesus, when he raised from the dead, not only did he prove that he had power over sin, Satan, death, and the grave, but he also proved that he was right. And that when he told uh, all of his followers, those who were listening at this time, who were hearing Peter's sermon, he told them that, hey, guess what? I will be put to death, but in three days I will rise victoriously, conquering death itself. And he did. I mean, just imagine a world where someone said they were going to do something. And they did it publicly. Like we have so many, uh, whether, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what side of the political aisle you are, everyone has that, that Twitter account that will tell you all the things that one person said and they, they lied about and they, they, they say something new now. On both sides. Like we're really good at knowing. Like he said this and did something different. She said this and she did something different. What about the guy who said he would conquer death and did? Why do we talk so much about all this bad news, about all the things that people, uh, the sin that people keep committing or the, the lies they keep telling? What about the one who didn't lie, the one who conquered Satan, who had conquered death, conquered the grave? What about him? He loosened the pains, uh, pangs of death. This is, imagine you were in shackles. You were in shackles in prison. And then your shackles were taken off. That's what he did. That's what he did. The good news is just simply news. The king has set you free. Some of you haven't responded in faith to Jesus, not because he hasn't overcome sin, Satan, and death. It's because you still feel what used to formerly be shackles on your wrists. They've been on you for so long. For so many years, you've been enslaved. You've been chained. You've been free. Get up. Follow Jesus. That's the news. That's the news. That's what he says. He continues. He says all of that, all of that was foretold. It was told in advance. In Acts chapter 2, verse 25, he says, For David, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord. This is King David 1,000 years before Jesus was born. 1,000 years. Before Jesus was born, I saw the Lord before me, for he said, uh, or for, uh, before me, for he is at my right hand, and he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also uh, will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make full gladness with your presence. This is King David writing 1,000 years before Jesus and in, 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 in speaking to the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only the coming, but the saving work of Jesus Christ. King David was an earthly king. He is telling us about a, an eternal king. The one that would come not through the work of man, but come down from heaven for man. He says this, that Jesus offers full gladness. Some of you know this verse. This is a quote from Psalm 1611 that says, In your presence, God, in your presence is, is eternal joy. You make known to me the path of life. It says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where? Who can offer you full joy? Who can offer you eternal pleasure? Who can offer you unending pleasure and joy? Some of you wrongly think Christianity is about denying pleasure. It's about finding the most you could ever possibly have. Not in the flesh, but in the, the one who overcame the work of the flesh. In Jesus himself, in his presence. Have you ever met someone who's fun to be around? Have you ever met someone who's fun? You're like, man, when I hang around that person, like it's just fun. Like, I get joy when I'm around them. Some of you are married to one, and praise God. Some of you, God is not done working, and maybe one day, hey, he'll answer that prayer. Just keep, keep, keep praying. Seriously, you know what it's like to be around people that you enjoy. We're told through the scriptures that in the presence of King Jesus, it's pleasure and joy that, not, that cannot be matched by anyone or anything. That's amazing. Who can offer you that? Nothing. No one. In his presence is the fullness of joy. 
at his right hand. It says, our pleasures forevermore. So what, Jesus is the only one that can offer true, full, and forever joy. So can you have joy outside of Jesus? Yes. Sin, we need to understand this. Sin is, off, sin is a counterfeit joy. Some of you uh, have, are cereal people. Uh, I, I don't eat a lot of cereal, but I, I, there was a point in time where I did. And I used to eat, and I, you used to be able to tell the knockoff brand, right? Like you had, like, man, H-E-B came out with an H-E-B brand. You're like, man, that's the fake stuff. That is not real. Kellogg's is where it's at. Like any of you, what, maybe it's not cereal for you. Maybe it's, you know, like chips. Uh, I don't know. I like those too. I'll just name the things I like. Like knockoff chips or knockoff like Dr. Pepper if you're in the soda, like is gross, right? Especially if you're old enough to remember that the knockoffs used to be really, really, really bad. Now the knockoffs have gotten pretty good. So you're like, no, nah, H-E-B, H-E-B brand is, is kind of the same. See, this is what sin does. It, it, it continues to be counterfeit, but it offers something that seems legit. Like some of us are like, man, no, I, I like H-E-B because it's cheaper. And it's, but it's a knockoff, man, for the original. I need you to know this. Knockoffs can be really, really good and really, really enjoyable. Some of you have, have put your faith in a knockoff uh, Christ, that, that being you. Your, your own pleasure, your own pursuit of happiness, your own pursuit of joy. You think that the world revolves around you. You think, like, honestly, I don't really need Jesus because I have a great life. And you probably do. You probably have a great life. But you, compared to the infinite joy of Jesus, is like a kid playing in the sand. You could have more. Jesus has offered you more. You're like, is he, some of you are like, oh, no, is he preaching prosperity? No, I'm preaching infinite pleasure and joy. That's what I'm preaching. No one can offer you this. Stop being so satisfied with the knockoff version of joy and pleasure that you find on the video screen or, or, or in the back room hidden in secret. Embrace the light. Embrace the Christ. Embrace the one who's overcome all counterfeits and offers you the real thing. That's what he's saying. That King David told 1,000 years before Jesus would come that there's one who's going to offer Fullness of, sin, fullness of joy by taking the fullness of sin. See, it is sin that keeps us from enjoying Jesus. It's sin that keeps us away from enjoying the love of God the Father. And Jesus said, if that's what's going to keep you from me, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. I'll take all the sin. And I'll wear it on myself and get punished and kill it and put it in the grave where it should belong. And I'll rise victoriously and the sin will stay there. It's amazing news. He says, brothers, verse 29, I may, I, may I say with confidence about the patriarch David, this is, he's so confident, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's saying, David, he's dead. The guy, the, the, our king, King David, is both buried and dead, and we can go to his tomb. He said, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would be that that he, that, that he would set, send one of his descendants on his throne. He would set one of his descendants on his throne. That's Jesus. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's saying this. Hey, he's talking to this crowd. He's saying, you know David. You know the king. You know his grave. We can go visit it. You can't visit Jesus' tomb. There is no tomb. It's empty. King David is dead. Jesus is alive. The dead guy spoke to, and we consider him a prophet, he spoke to the man who is alive. So if you take David seriously, you have to take Jesus seriously. He's alive. No other religion can make this claim. No other religion does. Every religious uh, leader in all human history are dead in a tomb. Many of them you can go to to this day. Jesus is alive. He has no tomb. It's one of the the greatest uh, realities of the resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't have a tomb. It's gone. It doesn't exist. There's no monument for his tomb because he's alive. There's tombs that look like what might have been So because people want to go and, well, what did it look like? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. David spoke to it 1,000 years before. Jesus himself claimed that he would raise from the dead. And then he did. If you need more proof, here's more. Verse 32. "Then Then Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses. He's talking to people who've witnessed the resurrected Jesus. 
We're told throughout the scriptures that, that Jesus continued to show himself to people so they knew that he was alive. This isn't just some obscure news. He visited people. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians he visited up to 500 people at a time. Maybe on multiple occasions. Thousands and thousands of people saw Jesus alive. If he was not alive, then the historians and those who wrote these accounts would have been called into question way before now. I love it. The atheists now are like, ah, Jesus is, this is, you know, they've twisted history. Like, if you believe that anyone lived historically in human history and you don't believe Jesus, then you're trusting in historical facts that are nowhere near as reliable as the Bible. The Bible is the most reliable book in the entire world. There's no other manuscript that is, is, that is as reliable as the New Testament. If you believe that William Shakespeare was maybe a person at some point in time, then you must believe in the resurrection if you want to be logically accurate. Because there's more evidence that prove that Jesus Christ is who he says he is than anyone in human history. He showed up to real people. Wouldn't you think that the people who saw him like, nah, it's a fake. That's a phony. I had the H-E-B cereal, and now I know the, the, this is an off-brand. The real Jesus showed up to real people. And that's why, over 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating the, the, the greatest news in human history. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand. This is where God is at right now, or this is where Jesus is at right now. At the right hand of God the Father, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. God has showed you this. He says, verse 34, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Because Jesus is alive, and because he's risen from the dead, what, what Peter is saying in this text is that his spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on those of us who believe in Jesus. He, it's the Holy Spirit who grants us news to believe in the resurrection. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit who grants us the power to, to be saved. He continues and says that Jesus is not, uh, not only not in the tomb, but he's, he's ruling. He's reigning right now. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is ruling and reigning. Therefore, Jesus is not only alive, but he is king. He is king over everyone. I love this. I love this. And some of you are going to be like, wow, this guy's offensive. It's okay. It's okay. Every, every generation has the... That's not my president guy. Every generation does. We've all, and some of you are like, oh, what, what? he's your king. I don't care what you say. He is your king. You will either worship him as your king or you will reject him as your king. I don't care. Some people today are like, oh, that's not my president. I'm like, no, he is. Joe Biden is your president. Donald Trump was your president. Like, well, I don't care. I don't care what you say. He is. Well, I don't accept him as that. That's fine. He is. Jesus is your king. Period. The question is, how do you respond to that? Like, ah, oh, that's offensive. I know, but he says he'll make his enemies his footstool. That's scary. He's way more powerful than any American president. He's wielded his power completely to take enemies and make them friends. Amazing. Who, who do you know that uses their power to take their enemies? Forgive them. Wash them clean. Help them. Forgive them. Pay for their debt to make them friends. See, rejecting Jesus is a foolish decision. You're rejecting the only atonement for your sin. The only one who can forgive. The only one who can fix and redeem what you've broken. Be like my son saying, hey, I'll take the debt on him, but even greater. Jesus right now is ruling and reigning. He desires that his enemies become his friends through faith in him, through believing that he died in their place for their sins. And if you reject that, you'll, you remain an enemy. Not an enemy of the state, but an enemy of the king, an eternal king. Addition, additionally, not, Jesus is not just alive and king, but he is, Jesus is Lord and Savior. 
He says this in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Some of you are like, you're like, I need to be certain. Know this for certain. That God made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you've crucified. The Jesus whom you crucified is now both Lord and Christ. Lord meaning this, he is king. It's reiterating the same thing, but, but more than that, he's, he's the head. He is the head. Lord, he is king, he's ruler, he is head. The question is not, is he head? The question is, do you submit to him as head? Do you submit to him as Lord? Do you submit to him as king? You see the paradox here. We live in a world, we literally live in a divided America that will look at, at a ruler or a, a political leader and say, I don't follow them. I don't believe that they are in their position. I can act like it doesn't exist. It, and everyone knows it doesn't matter what you think. Both sides. And, and, both, and there's, there's people on both sides who get really, really angry at this. It's not, it's, we're equal opportunity offender here. Everyone's guilty. He is Lord. He is king. The question is not, is he king? The question is, do you worship him as king? Do you worship him as king? Does Jesus preside over your life with reverence and awe and worship? Additionally, he says he is Christ, which means Savior, which means he's the, it's a title. It's not his last name. Just so you know, Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christ means it's his title. It's what he is, who he is, what he's accomplished, which means Messiah or chosen one. The one who would be, quote, Savior, would save mankind from their sin. Jesus is both Lord and Savior. My question is, is not whether Jesus is Lord and Savior. The question is, is he, he your Lord? And is he your savior? Or are you Lord and you savior? Or are you putting your, 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 your salvation in, in other methods, in other ways, healthy living? I'm all about health, healthy living, but I'm telling you this. Even with a great diet, you'll still die. You still will. I'm talking about an eternal healing, a forgiveness of sins. Christ is both Lord and savior. Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? We cannot be neutral regarding this. So what shall we do then? What shall we do with this news? What shall we do? That's the news. I get it. In our day, we don't trust news outlets. We don't trust news sources. We don't trust the news. But literally the word gospel, what we've just proclaimed is literally good news. It's the word we gospel is just simply good news. It's, it's just telling you the news. It's your opportunity now to respond. Uh, it's your opportunity to, uh, to see and savor Jesus or reject him. And so he says this, what shall we do? Now then, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They were, they were convicted of their sin. They realized that Jesus was who he says he is. And said to Peter and the, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Some of you today, this is where you're at. What shall we do? What shall I do with this news? And Peter said to them, great question, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance simply means to turn around. He's saying, you're going this direction, just turn around and go that direction. He's saying, repent of your sin. What he's saying is you used to worship, if you worship yourself as Lord, exchange yourself as Lord for Jesus as Lord. If, you, if you, uh, you're, you're trusting something else for salvation, forsake that and trust Jesus for salvation. It's exchanging as Jesus exchanged his life for yours, you're saying, I agree and I, and I accept that offer. Take my sin and be my savior. I agree, I trust that, I want that. That's what he's saying. Repent, turn. Do not remain neutral any longer. Change your mind. Agree with God. That's what it means to repent. It means like, I agree with you, God. I am a sinner. I am guilty. I need saving. Jesus is the only one who can save me. I trust him. I put my faith in him. I want to follow him. I will make him Lord. I will make him Savior. He is my king. I recognize that and I submit to it. That's what he's saying. Repent. He said, then be baptized, which is a declaration that, of exactly what you just repented of. Baptism declares that Jesus is risen. That he is 
Lord, that he is Savior, that he is King. He is victorious. See, with baptism, we we put individuals under the water, showing the the world that that Jesus himself was buried, dead. So we say the words, we were buried with him in baptism. Then we raise an individual up out of the water, showing that, that they're raised to walk in this new life that Jesus purchased for them. Just as Jesus got out of the grave and, and, and enters into the rest of eternity with a glorified body and, no, and, and punished and sin is punished and dealt with no more, so too those who follow Jesus will have their sins forgiven, will be risen from the dead victoriously just like Jesus, and they will, be, they will live the rest of their life in a new transformed life. And that's what he says Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit who gives you new life. That's how we respond. Verse 39. He says, for, for the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. For everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So what he's saying is this, he's talking to a Jewish individuals who are like, well, Jesus came through the line of Jews. And he's saying, that promise is not just for you, your children, but everyone, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And this is my favorite part of the verse. He says this, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So I'm going to use many more words right now. I'm going to continue uh, Peter's sermon. He says this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. With many other words, Peter just continued to exhort them, to plead with them, to believe in Jesus, to respond, to repent, to have faith in Jesus. We live in a really, really, really crooked world. We're We're not unaware of that. Sin is a real problem, if we're honest. Jesus offers a real remedy. And so what I want to do right now, in many other words, is is to, to explain a few specific things that Jesus' death and resurrection has accomplished for you. For you. For you. If you're a Christian, I hope this this builds confidence. This encourages your faith. If you know, love, and trust Jesus, you've been walking with him, I pray that you would grab a hold to these blood-bought promises. If you're not a Christian, I want you to see that this is what Jesus has accomplished for you. The chains are broken. It's just get up and walk following him. And in doing so, all of these promises are yours. So if you'll let me, in a few other words... Explain a few things. Jesus is your substitute. Jesus is your substitute. He died in your your place for your sins. And is now, not dead, but living. The resurrection of Jesus offers you a substitute. If you have faith in Jesus, he is your substitute. He took your place for your sins. He's your substitute. Additionally, Jesus is your victor. Jesus has claimed victory on your behalf. What he has done, we're told in the the New Testament, that he has literally disarmed the demonic rule and and oppression that may torment you. Some of you are are riddled with lies about who you are. About what your self-worth is. What others think of you. More so what you think of yourself. Some of you see yourself and you just feel just a wave of darkness and depression and oppression. You believe things about you that are just not true. And you're like, is there any hope for me? Jesus' death did not just seal your salvation and your redemption and your eternal life after you pass. He sealed right now victory over sin, Satan, it means demonic oppression, demonic lies, anything that would torment you to believe something about yourself that is simply not true. He has disarmed those rulers. He's put them open to shame. They're being mocked right now. Instead, that you feel them mocking you. You need to know that Jesus' resurrection disarmed them. They're like a barking chihuahua that just needs to be, I shouldn't say kicked, but anyway. Satan needs to be kicked. He does. And those lies need to be kicked. But just, you know, those annoying little dogs that really can't harm you, you shouldn't kick them. Publicly saying that. Don't kick a dog. But you know that annoying dog that's barking and, you know, can't do anything? That's Satan. He's, he can't do anything. He's been disarmed. He's got a wooden sword. 
may hurt, but he can't give no lethal blow. He's like a snake with his head chopped off. He's still biting. If it's venomous, it can cause pain and harm. But he's been beheaded. I need you to see the resurrection of Jesus not just dealt with the sin problem, but, but has also dealt with the demonic oppression. The God of this world, Satan, who blinds the eyes of the unbelievers, he's given him a lethal blow. He has no more power over you if you are in Christ. Some of you feel the, the power of darkness over you. Jesus has died so you can be free. He's resurrected, proving that he has the power over death, but also demonic oppression. Additionally, Jesus is your redemption, meaning this, he has bought you back. You willfully rebelled, he willfully bought you back. He redeemed you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you are ashamed of, no matter what you've been enslaved to, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you feel, Jesus has redeemed you. He's cleansed you. He's offered you newness. Additionally, Jesus is your sacrifice. So not just was he your substitute, but he's also your sacrifice. He stood in your place. Yes, substituting himself for you, but also being the epitome of your sacrifice. There needs to be no more atonement for sin because Jesus has made it for you. Cling to his sacrifice. Therefore, Jesus is your righteousness. There are no good Christians. I need you to know this. If, you're, if you've been here a while, you know that, that we don't believe in good Christians. We don't believe in good humans. We believe in one good God. His name's Jesus, and he saves wicked people like us. That's who we are. There are no good Christians. There's only a good Savior. There's no good Christians. The rich young ruler looked at Jesus and said, hey, uh, hey good teacher. And he looked at him and said, boy, <laughs> who do you call good? You don't know what good is. There's only one good God. And that's, that, that, that was Jesus, but he did not worship him as the good Savior. Not only have your sins been forgiven, but Jesus is your vindication. You've been vindicated by Jesus. Meaning this, he's made right your wrongs. So you can have a substitute, you can have a victor, you can have righteousness. I need you to see, he has vindicated, he has made right what you made wrong. He's vindicated you. He, you are righteous, therefore, in his sight. Meaning this, Jesus' righteousness has been given to you. If you had a bank account and you had $2 trillion in debt, Jesus gave you infinite money, righteousness. He exchanged your account. He took your debt and said, I'll take the debt account and gave you his righteous account. Righteous means you're justified. Righteous means you're holy. Righteous means that the wrongs you've done have been righted, have been rewritten, and you are right. You're righteous. You've been made right because Jesus is your vindication. He's vindicated you. Additionally, Jesus is your wrath remover, meaning the wrath that was poured out on him was removed from you and placed on him. He's removed the wrath that you deserved and placed it on himself. He drank the full cup of God's wrath. That's why it's absurd for anyone to think that they could, could, could stand in, 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 in God's presence claiming that they could forgive and atone for their own sin by their own works. If God did not spare his son, why would he spare you for rejecting his son? He's not asking you to do anything other than to believe and let him change you. He's your wrath remover. Jesus is your ransom. He literally has paid your ransom. You were held captive in bondage. Not only did he disarm the rulers, not only did he put them open to shame, not only did he break the chains that enslaved you, but he paid, he paid your ransom, meaning he has already paid for your release. Just come out. Come out. Get up. Get out of the, 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 the cell. Take off the shackles. Walk forward. Your ransom has been paid. Just imagine this. In a war-torn world, where someone's ransom has been paid, and they're just like, nah, I'm just going to stay here. 
when you've been, and some of you feel this way because you don't know anything else. And there's been trauma in your life, and you're like, I don't know how to get up. I need you to see. It's the news is coming into you and saying, hey, Jesus has paid your ransom. You're free. He's paid for your release. You've been absolved of your past sins. Walk in freedom. Additionally, Jesus is our healer. He's our reconciliation, meaning he's healed us, restored us back to right relationship with God. Your relationship with God has been restored through faith in Jesus. You can enjoy, therefore, fellowship and communion in his presence on earth as it is in heaven, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. If Jesus is alive, death is defeated for you. Jesus secured this hope, this life. He secured not only uh, all that I've spoken to now, but he's also secured a life for you to come. We're told in, the, in, the, in Romans, or in, in, I, think, I believe it's Romans, that uh, after you believe, I think it's Philippians actually, if you were to die, you are at home and present with the Lord if you know, love, and trust Jesus. There's no, we escape death. The Christian escapes death. We escape death. He secured that hope for you. The resurrection gives power in the present because we, we know that we're free. We know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that the effects of sin, though we feel that, and though we, we feel pain and suffering in this life, we have a hope of not just having salvation in this life, but we have hope of complete healing and renewal in the life to come. In Revelation 20, Jesus tells us this. We're told this, that Jesus will wipe away in the new heavens and the new earth. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. He says, death will be no more. He says there will be neither mourning nor crying or pain anymore. He says those are former things. He says those will have passed away. But Jesus, King Jesus, who is sitting on the throne, says, behold, I'm making all things new. That is the good news. That is the, the, the redemption. That is the hope. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus has accomplished for you. If you're a Christian, you should have great hope in this life and in the life to come. Jesus is on the throne ruling and reigning, and he is for you, not against you. This is great news. Friends, if the father did not sp spare his son, why would he spare you? Save yourself, you crooked generation. This is the same news that Peter told the first century church. It's the same news that we hear today. We're a crooked generation that has gone astray. We've, we've willfully disobeyed and rebelled against a God who loves us, who cares for us, who gave himself for us. This is the news. And how do we respond? This is the response. We respond through faith. We respond through faith because the, the, the great news, according to God's definite plan, is true. He says this in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's how we respond. We respond through receiving God's word. So if you were a, a Christian uh, or if you're non-Christian, be, become one. That's what they did. For those who were, who were hearing these words. Those who were hearing these words, they responded, and they became Christians. He says it's those who received his word. They received it. They believed it. They trusted in it. They gloried in it. If, not, or if you're not a Christian today, that's what we invite you to. Become one. Become a Christian. Put your faith in Jesus. Give your sins to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Make him your Lord. And then... If you've become a Christian, we invite you to be baptized. Not today, but we're going to have baptisms coming up. So the way you can do that is mark it in one of those cards seated at or around where you're seated. Let us know that you want to be baptized, that you've met Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, we want to walk with you. And if you're a Christian who have yet to respond in, through faith in Jesus and, and followed in obedience through baptism, we invite you to do the same. Mark it on your card. We'll follow up with you. But, but how, how, some of you may be asking, how do I know? How do I know? If the Lord is calling me to himself, how do I know how to respond? How do I know uh, that I should receive this word? Oftentimes, many people think that, that you must feel something first. We live in a world that's very emotional, very feely, driven by our emotions. And so some of you feel like, oh, if I, I need to have feel something great. I need you to understand this. Feelings do not drive faith. Feelings do not drive faith. 
Feelings are a fruit of faith, and maybe they follow in due time. But our faith is not in a feeling. Our faith is in the fact that Jesus stood in your place for your sins, killed, murdered, beaten, betrayed for you. Fact. And then after being dead, God the Father raised him from the dead. And he's a, he's a victor. He's victorious. He is king. He is Lord. It's faith in that, in the, in the, in the, the person and work of Jesus. That's where salvation lies. That's where faith lies. It's believing that Jesus is your Lord. He is your Savior. You, those, you were a sinner. He has taken your sins. And he has made you, through faith, a child of God. Do you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins? Do you believe that he's not dead, but he is alive, ruling and reigning? Do you believe that he is your Lord? Do you believe that he is your King? Do you recognize him as your Savior? That's salvation. That's salvation. It's not a feeling. It's in the fact that Jesus got out of the grave. Do you believe that? Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the way you respond, the way you respond is, is rejoicing. Rejoicing in the fact that Jesus is still and always will be your God, your Savior, your King. He is victorious. Your sin has been defeated. He really was a substitute. He really is your victor. He really has disarmed the rulers and the principalities of darkness. He really has been your redemption. He really was sacrificed in your place. He really is your righteousness, meaning you are pure, clean, and holy. He's vindicated you. He's removed your wrath. He's, he's done all it all. It's yours now. It's not waiting for you when Christ returns. It's waiting for you now. Grab a hold of it. Cling to it. Rejoice in it. Glory in it. So the way we're going to respond is through worship. Worshiping Jesus. We're going to worship through singing. And then after service, we're going to worship through feasting. And through party. Through a celebration. And so what I want to do now is I'm going to pray for us. And if you're not a Christian and you're becoming a Christian and you want to become a Christian, you have questions, take that card and in response, uh, fill it out. And be ready to put, drop it in the box before you leave. But if you are a Christian or you've become a Christian and Jesus is your King, Lord, and Savior, I want you to stand and I want you to sing. I want you to sing like Jesus is alive, that he's not dead, but he's ruling and reigning and will forever. Why don't we stand and let's, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, bless us now as we respond. May we respond in faith. May we respond in worship. May we respond in singing shouts of praise to our good God, our good Savior and King. Lord, bless us as we do in Jesus' name.